The following podcast is by Mr. Jim Taylor, elder law and special needs attorney, helping and protecting those who need long-term care. And welcome everyone back to this final segment in this hour with Mr. Jim Kaler, attorney. Don't make promises on final you can't keep, so we'll have to see. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. But we've been talking to um, just about this whole topic of who should you, who do you trust, basically? Who should you name as your um, representatives in times when you cannot act for yourself, not only towards the end of your life, but also after you pass away. And one of the things I think, Jim, you've really eloquently explained is there's a lot of different pieces to the pie that we don't think about when we turn around and say, what, you know, who should we name or what should we do? And so I encourage all of our listeners, if you haven't uh, started with segment one, start, because there's a lot of different pieces of of the puzzle that comes together. And here we are at our last segment of the hour and we've gone through, you know, wills, we've gone through, um, you know, power of attorney, we've touched on different aspects of estate, you know, administration, but now we move into what's called trusts. And, you know, that's a word that people kind of know about, or they've heard, but a lot of people they don't realize the benefit of a trust and they also don't understand really what a trust does and what the different types are. So obviously um, uh, we're looking for your guidance here. So (laughs) on this, there are two with trusts, there are two big categories. And then within, within the irrevocable category, there's Mm -hmm. lots of different variations. Okay. Um, the simple kind of trust, what at least in Ohio is called a revocable living trust, and I suspect mm-hmm. it's called something Same similar here. to that in all 50 states, um, it is a substitute for a will. Correct. It, you put stuff into your revocable living trust now while you're still alive. You are the trustee or you and your spouse together are the trustees. You still manage everything the way you did before. It's just named and, and owned by the trust mm-hmm. or actually depending on how your state uh, requires naming things, it's owned by you in your capacity as trustee. Right. Okay. Um, It's kind of like a corporation is a person under the law, which Mm -hmm. always weirded me out. So a corporation can own things. Right. A trust is not a person under the law. It's just a shell to put around things. It's a way to own things, but we still have to name the trustee, the trustee, as the owner. Okay. It. It's so they know somebody knows who to call if they have a claim against this thing or have to figure out where to send it. Okay. Right. Uh, so the initial trustee with revocable living trusts is usually the people who set it up, the grantors or settlers or trustors or whatever your every uh, term your state uses. Okay. Uh, I usually use grantors. And that goes all the way back to law school for me. And that may be an Ohio thing. It may not. I didn't go to law school here in Ohio. I went to IU. I was there when Bob Knight threw the chair at IU. Um, and I was in the 10th row. The, um, so you still own it as trustee. You still manage it pretty much the same way. You just have changed the title and everything. So now your bank mm-hmm. account is checking account in the Jim Kaler Trust. Right. Uh, right. Your land is owned by Jim Kaler as trustee of the Jim Kaler Trust. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that's, that's all it is. It changes the name, but you still, because you can revoke it, 
it still has the same tax you consequences because it. it's still you tied to my social security yeah. number. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but what it does when you die is it avoids going to probate court. It's a private contract between your, yourself as grantor and yourself as trustee. And right. then when you die, a successor trustee takes over. Same for a revocable living trust, mm -hmm. same personality in the successor trustee as with an executor, someone who gets stuff done. Correct. Push through the paperwork, get it done, get the project finished. Okay. It's because this is all business. You've died right. now. Okay. So let's just gather everything in the trust, send it out the way the trust instructions say. The trust is basically has its way to own things, it has its own internal will, making air quotes now for those who aren't watching but are listening, mm -hmm. uh, because it has distribution instructions when the trust winds down after the grantor dies. Okay, it. it's its own internal will. So it's basically carrying out the same thing, but you don't have to go to court over it to get it done. You don't need someone else's permission to change names on the account because it's right there in the trust. <clears throat> and the bank has a copy of the trust. Uh, the, the title office has a, has a summary of the trust. You don't want to file the whole trust because they'll charge you per page. Okay. Um, but then the, the successor trustee, after you passed away, just distributes in accordance with the instructions. Might there be a fight over it? Of course, these are heirs fighting over money or sentimentality or something. There might be a fight, but that's not a pro. It could be back in probate court, but if there's no fight, you don't have to go to probate court at all, okay? Mm -hmm. An irrevocable trust is a different thing. An irrevocable trust is meant to preserve some of the assets past your death. Maybe it's an irrevocable trust for someone who has special needs and you need it to last as long as they survive. Uh, maybe it's an irrevocable trust because you want to set some stuff aside now and not have it subjected to being spent down by Medicaid should you need long-term care five years sure. or more down the road. Or you've set up an irrevocable trust because you've got plenty of money, you're living fine, and you want to set something aside for your grandchildren and great-grandchildren however many generations you want to go out to pay for college or first down payment on a house or whatever. Right. So an irrevocable trust is usually meant to live past your lifetime. Um, if your revocable living trust has enough in it, you can simply make it irrevocable when you die. And, mm -hmm. but it's built, it's got language built in like your standard irrevocable trust irrevocable from the beginning mm -hmm. so that it lives on and carries out your instructions. It will once you die, by the way, the trust has to get, has to get its own social security number, or actually called an employer ID number from the IRS, and it will pay higher taxes on its own income because trusts pay higher taxes. Uh, they get to the top tax bracket pretty quickly. But that's the cost of using a trust to shelter your assets. Okay, right. it's, it's the cost of doing business. You don't like it, don't use an irrevocable trust. Uh, but if you've got someone with special needs, please don't let the taxes flip you out. Okay. Use an irrevocable trust for someone with special needs. If you want to set stuff aside for and um, protect it from long-term care costs, lump it, take pay, let it pay the taxes. Don't sweat it because if it helps you sleep at night, uh, worrying less about long-term care in your future or is a possibility of long-term care in your future. Fine. That's its job. Okay. But the cost of that job is higher tax rates. Right. Um, but the irrevocable trust then can live on after you die, perhaps long after you die, bloodline trust, legacy yeah. trusts, yeah. all sorts of things, family trusts. Okay. Uh, there are trusts that own businesses that are now through three, four, five generations of ownership 
mm-hmm. where family still owns, family still operates, mm-hmm. but the trust owns it. Okay. Well, and I think too, when you're saying things like, um, I have a friend that has, is well off financially and she's concerned about one of her children that if she died, that all, all of the money that they would receive would just be evaporated and she doesn't want to have that happen. So she's That's called like, a spendthrift trust. Yeah. Spendthrift. Okay? Yeah. So what she's same doing. Same concept, same idea. Is uh, that he's getting a payment every month. Yeah. Basically upon her death. Yep. Yep. I've got a client. Um, this is that not the one for whom we, we created this list, but I've got right. a client uh, who has a special needs son, a yep. potentially special needs granddaughter. She's traditional oh, wow. signs that three aren't good. A spendthrift daughter, a manipulative ex-wife. And, and oh, so goodness. we are layer upon layer for this poor guy so he can sleep at night. Okay. So with an irrevocable trust, especially for someone with special needs, you've got two basic approaches. And I'll bring this to the top of my uh, top of my screen so I can look at it and not lose sight of the camera quite so much. Um, the grantors can be the initial trustees if that's the way you want it. But if you want to make it really solid and protect this from long-term care costs, then you don't, you set it up, but you don't be the initial trustee. Okay. You just immediately jump into irrevocability. You find someone you trust. Sure. We call them a trustee because you want to trust them. You want them to, yeah. to carry out your, is, that, can every, is every trustee trustworthy? Oh, heavens no. I wish it were no. so, but it's not. <laughs> So the trustee doesn't necessarily have to be an attorney. They can be, but you could, right. they it can could be, be a, a, a family friend. It could be, could be a family a, friend, could be a, a brother, a sibling. A, exactly. Okay. okay. Generally someone your age or younger, since the idea is this to live beyond you. Sure. You want it your age or younger and yeah. you definitely want successors. You, you want some form of successorship in there for trustees. Okay. Or you can go the other way and go with an institution, a bank, a trust company, et cetera. Okay. You had apparently a good experience with the bank, but that was simply winding up your dad's trust. A trust for someone with special needs um, uses a lot of discretion. Should I pay out for this special needs person who wants to buy a new computer or buy a bigger television? or whatever. Okay. Banks are great at set instructions, a spendthrift trust where they're going to pay X amount every, every month. They're great at that. There's no discretion. There's no decision-making. Just, is it another month? Is it first a month? Cut a check. First month, cut a check. Wrote ministerial duties. Okay. Discretion. Should we buy, should we buy a TV for this special needs beneficiary? Mm -hmm. I like people on special yeah. needs trusts more than I like banks. Now we could do a hybrid, by the way. The bank can hold, but there can be uh, a, a distribution trustee who makes the, you know, makes the discretionary decisions while the bank is still managing the uh, investment where the principal as an investment, okay? Sure. Then you get both and that's fine. You can go that route. You can have a committee of distribution where maybe it's a special needs law attorney, uh, a, a special needs social worker, uh, a particular friend of the child with special needs or an aunt or an uncle. Right. Okay. So you can create that committee 
that can also oversee distributions, simply give instructions to the bank. And as long as the bank understands, committee says spend, the bank spends, that's what you want. Sure. Or you can find somebody you trust to manage the investments, even if sure. you don't want to use a bank. I've got a friend who's great at investments, fine. That'll be the, the management trustee, and I still have a committee or a person to make distribution. If you find somebody who can do both, awesome. If you can't, fine, split it up, okay? And then finally, uh, we're gonna, I think we're gonna squeeze it in, HIPAA releases. Mm -hmm. Health Information Portability and Accountability Act. The P is portability, not privacy. This goes back to uh, the HIPAA law of, geez, when was that, the Clinton administration? Uh -huh. um, and, but within that insurance portability was also privacy. It was buried in there, in, in that law, okay? Yeah. This is the thing where, the, where the, your doctor asks you when you first arrive, uh, the first time you go there, can we, who can we talk to about your health uh, right. information? Who do we call it? Can we leave a message on your answering machine? Yeah, okay. exactly. Well, I am a big believer in creating broad HIPAA releases that apply to everybody. Because okay. you may not know what nursing home you're going to be in when you suffer dementia. True. True. And if you suffer dementia, it's too late to sign a HIPAA release. True. So I like big broad, and you may not know the, the hospital where you're taken after a car accident. Yeah. Because it's not going to be the one where you usually go, perhaps. Okay. So I like big broad HIPAA releases so you can decide ahead of time who can have this information. I'm a big believer in these things. If you're worried about long-term care in your future, and you should worry about long-term care in your future, if you fill one of these out, like you're going to need long-term care, but you never need it, fine. At least you're ready, okay? This and good powers of attorney. Exactly. Because this allows someone to be your advocate for care because they have the information. This combined with a healthcare power of attorney gives you a lot. So name everyone in the HIPAA release, unless there's some particular reason to lead a person out. There is no this person first, that person second. Right. Everyone can have the information because any one of them could be the one advocating sure. for you on Tuesday because the other I'm your daughter or I'm your niece or I'm your so-and-so. And those, yes. you know, obviously it might be, I took mom to a, a doctor appointment and I need to get some information, you know, so yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, oh. and if you've got an elder law attorney of choice, name your elder law attorney. If the elder law attorney has a care coordinator, name the care coordinator. Good point. Absolutely. Good point. Jim, this has been so eye-opening. I've learned so much in this hour. And sometimes I think I have, I know enough to be dangerous. I would have really been dangerous <laughs> if I was giving somebody this kind of um, advice. Thank you so much for your wisdom today on this, because I think it gives us a lot to think about. Thank you. Uh, well, and you know, everyone, uh, we have a whole bunch of topics that we're going to be coming your way and we hope to get Jim back here soon so I just enjoy what you're hearing and we're looking forward to uh, you know hearing more from you in the near future Jim so thank you again thank you Suzanne state of Ohio residents you have a friend to help you navigate long-term care while protecting your assets you can reach Jim at www.protectingseniors.com or just email him at j-k-o-e-w-l-e-r-a-f-e that's j-k-a-l-e-r-a-f-e at protectingseniors.com It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. 
Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.